Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. I've been here about two and a half years now, and you can find me at the top of the V61 Fantasy Football League. So for me only, so I need to get that in. Um, but no, I'm, I'm very happy this evening. We are um, finishing up the series we've been doing um, about when Jesus, when Jesus met, looking at the character of Jesus. And I think as, as I sort of began, I wanted to, I actually opened the series uh, whenever it was a few months ago, um, and I'm actually in a very feel like I'm in a different place than I was at the start. And um, and I think for me, um, I'm in a, a sort of difficult phase of life at the moment, if I'm very honest with you. Um, I feel very lost. Um, uh, me and my wife have, have made some big decisions about taking a bit of a break to try and to recalibrate and spend some time trying to work out what does God kind of want, want from our lives. Um, and to be honest, my life wasn't going in a particularly great direction. Um, and for me, when this thing happens, you know, where, where that happens from time to time, um, and maybe, maybe you're in the same place, for me, um, my faith gets very tested, um, especially when you start asking questions of God, of like, what, what do you want from me? Like, what is our next step? Where do you want us to be? Where do you want me to be? What do you want me to be doing? And you really start putting maybe more pressure on your faith than you did before, um, even though maybe it was always there. Um, in some form, life was just going on, and it was maybe not so much comfortable, but maybe a bit more straightforward. And you have those times when suddenly you're making decisions, or you're trying to make decisions, and suddenly it's how much do I trust and put my kind of full weight on this on this faith that I profess. And for me, what it always comes down to is away from the maybe the the doctrine and the, and the the specific beliefs. It just comes down to the person of Jesus. And I have to come back to who is this Jesus. Who is this Jesus that is revealed to me? Who is this Jesus? We have these gospels about who is this Jesus? What did he do? What has he done? What is he doing now in my life, in our lives? And how do I respond to that? So all of that to say is as we finish this series tonight um, and go into Easter next week, um, don't rush away from this series. If you are anyway resonate with, with what I've just shared about where I'm at personally, don't rush away from this series. This series has not been and is not like any other. Um, if you're in that place where you just need to come back to who is this Jesus, who maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you that's not how you refer to yourself, or maybe you are, I just implore you, um, obviously both tonight, and go back and listen to the podcast. Spend this Easter period really reflecting on who is this Jesus. Um, so just by way of introduction, um, that's, that's what the series is hopefully about, and hopefully this is what we can take away from this series as we close it up. Um, but in particular, we, like I said, the, the series has been about um, people Jesus met and, and um, what we can learn about the character of Jesus from people he met and encounters he had. And for those of you who um, have heard me preach before, I like picking really awkward, difficult texts. Um, they're much more fun to prepare. They're much more fun to watch everyone squirm as you preach about them. And uh, so I, I've done it again. Um, some of you that know it, I'm going to obviously explain it in more detail. But we're going to talk about the story um, of when Jesus went into the temple and basically caused a riot and kicked over the money, uh, all sorts of things and caused a massive 
massive riot and got really, really angry. So it's when Jesus met the temple and to a lesser extent the fig tree. And the fig tree didn't even make it into this morning. So it may or may not make it this evening. Um, but mainly when Jesus met the temple. Um, and it's one of these stories that it's almost like a family story that you know, some people who have been around the family know, but you don't really talk about. So it's like the story of how my little brother burnt down the shed by starting a fire in the garden. Um, we don't really talk about it, but it happened. <laughs> and the story of how um, my little brother stole my dad's video camera and videoed his friends graffitiing the train bridge, but then forgot to remove it, so we all saw it. And we don't really talk about it, but it happened, and we've got proof. And, uh, and also the story of how my little brother... Um, we, we found out as a surprise we were going to Disneyland, and when we got there, we realized he was still wearing his pajamas under his clothes because he was that excited. Um, which sounds like a cute story, but he was 24, so it's, uh, <laughs> he wasn't. He was eight, but anyway. Um, but it's one of those, this is one of those stories that everyone knows about, but we don't really talk about because it's, it's kind of awkward. But what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to unpack it, and I'm going to hopefully show you that rather than be... This, this weird story of Jesus throwing kind of maybe some kind of hissy fit in the temple and, and kicking stuff over for no particular reason. But actually, it's an incredibly powerful story in a particular point in the Gospels, and there's a real reason why, um, why Jesus did it, and we're going to unpack why and what he meant. So what we're going to do, um, I'm just going to read it through the next slide. So if you want to follow with me, we're looking at um, the version in John chapter 2. Um, there are two versions of the story, which I won't get into, but you'll find it in all the four Gospels. But we're going to look at John chapter 2. So I'm going to read it through once, and then we're just going to set the scene. We're going to try and explain what's happening here. Um, and then we're going to look at Jesus' reaction, how we can understand that reaction and what it means for us. So um, this is John chapter 2, verses uh, 13. I think this is to about 15 or so. Um, and it says this. Um, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So straight away, maybe this is the first time you've heard this story. Straight away, you can see why this is that awkward family story. This is the Jesus who, through a kind of amazing talks we've heard in this church in the last few weeks, is, is welcoming, is gracious, is loving. Um, that's his character. And then we have this. Um, what, how does this fit with that character of Jesus? Um, it's a really kind of awkward story to, to read. Um, if you do want to go and YouTube it, you can find reenactments, which are actually incredibly powerful when you actually see... Um, this, the ring that with Jesus actually taking this whip and running through the temple, it really does kind of jar. Um, so what on earth is going on here? So before we get into that and, and the reaction, I just want to set the scene for you, um, which helps unpick what, what's really happening here. So first of all, next slide, is we start off, it tells, the text tells us, and this is the thing, whenever you get these texts, um, the worst thing you can do is ignore them. The best thing you can do is just start Googling. Um, because the texts always give us the clues of what's happening here. Um, and people, you know, have unpacked them. And hopefully that's what I'm going to do for you today. So the first thing is kind of like, why is he doing this now? Is there a reason? So the first thing we find out is this happened um, at the time just before the Jewish Passover. Now, um, the Jewish, uh, not that similar to the Christian faith now, is, is often built around a series of kind of key events and festivals. So just like Viv was saying, Easter and uh, Christmas 
um, loads and loads of people will suddenly come into to church far more than normal. And this was basically the best equivalent we really got for the Jewish Passover. The Jewish Passover was a festival where um, the Jews celebrated what God, the best thing God had done for them at the time, which was the Exodus. It was celebrating when God brought his people out of captivity in Egypt. And so what was happening is it was a festival where everyone came together. All the Jews from all around Jerusalem, they all came together. So the first thing we see is this is not just a, a, a random Sunday morning or, or Saturday morning. This is a really, really big event that Jesus is choosing to do this. This is an event where there's a lot of people around. So straight away, we've got a clue that this is, this is significant. This is a public thing Jesus is doing. This is not just a kind of a random one-off. And the second thing we uh, can unpack and just see, uh, next slide, it says he went to Jerusalem and he went to the temple courts. Um, if we go to the next slide, then the, the one after. So again, it isn't hard to unpack this one fully, but I have, I've got a picture to help us, help us show a little bit about what the temple, uh, temple meant. So this picture on the screen right now is sort of a, re, uh, a reimagining of what the temple looked like around Jesus' time. So the temple's in the foreground. And again, you can just see really visually a few things really important here. One is just how big it is and how it sort of towers over the whole city. And this was really symbolic of the temple was the quite literally the house of God. This is where God resided. Um, again, if you look at the picture in the sort of that central pillar in the middle of the temple, that's literally where the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was, was thought that was felt to be. Um, so again, this wasn't just sort of a, a regular public space or, or regular church building or synagogue or wherever it was. But Jesus was coming at one of the busiest times to like the most important part in the Jewish faith, the most important thing. Um, is again, it's hard to, to think of a metaphor for us. Maybe the best one for us might be somewhere like Parliament, like a, a seat of power, legal and kind of social power, or, or the White House in the States. This was an incredibly symbolic place, incredibly kind of, um, there's certain things you couldn't, couldn't do there. So straight away, um, in trying to unpack this story, you've kind of got some clues that Jesus is picking a particular place and a particular time to do this. Um, so straight away, you should, you know, we're starting to get the idea that this is not just a random event. There's something going on here, just from the clues that the, the, the gospel writers have already given us. So if we, again, return to the text um, on the next slide. Thank you. So also, the first thing we find out in just setting the scene is that when Jesus goes in there, he finds these two things. He finds people selling cattle uh, and sheep and doves, and he finds people uh, sitting at tables exchanging money. So again, what's going on here? Is this is kind of weird. Why is this happening in the temple? So at this point in the story, it's not actually that weird. So what's happening again, because of the Passover, it's actually a very helpful, pragmatic thing. Um, people obviously coming to this festival, and as part of their worship, they're going to give animal sacrifices as per the kind of Mosaic law. And um, therefore, they didn't want to necessarily bring their kind of animal sacrifices with them. So very helpfully, some uh, people had set up shop and said, well, you can just come here and kind of buy your animals um, for your worship here. So that's why there are animals and cattle there. Um, and the second thing we see is uh, people sitting at tables exchanging money. So what's the deal here? So I have in front of me here some uh, Easter bunny coins and some regular chocolate. And uh, the deal was this, basically, is that um, because the temple's a very holy place, you weren't allowed pictures of pagan symbols. And uh, in, in sort of the, the, the money around the time, because they were in the Roman occupation, most money had uh, a picture of Caesar on them, or in this case, Easter Bunny. 
And uh, you weren't basically allowed that in the temple. That wasn't allowed. So they couldn't actually bring their money in to spend. So what they had is people essentially doing a currency exchange. So they exchanged their uh, Roman money for what was called temple money. So there's our nice silver money. So that was, again, on that level, pretty straightforward. It's basically you've got a helpful economic exchange here. So the picture we're kind of setting, we think we're setting anyway, is of basically a quite a straightforward um, uh, temple system, a little bit crazy, but nothing really happening. But then let's again read. So this is uh, the situation we found. So a uh, really busy time, really, really important place. Uh, seems like regular stuff's happening. But again, let's see that reaction. He made a whip out of cords, drove them all from the temple courts, the sheep and the cattle, and scattered the coins of the money changes and overturn the tables. So now, hopefully we've set the scene enough to say this is probably not just a random act of fury. There's some reason Jesus is doing this. There's some message he's sending here because it's a very, very public thing he's doing. And the question is, is what is he doing? So um, I'm just gonna, next time I'm gonna tell you what he is doing and then I'm gonna hopefully unpack it for you. This is what's, God, what's happening here. Um, this is a God who is furious at what separates you from him. This is a God who is furious at what separates you from him. And this is a Jesus who is announcing he is about to tear down that separation. And this is a Jesus who is announcing that he's about to tear down that separation. So how, uh, yeah, then how on earth does that come from that passage? Hopefully I can now show you. So now we're going to look at the next part of the passage. Um, so I'll start again, just I'll read it all through um, and it'll help us unpack it. So first, um, again, he said he made a whiff of cords and drove them from the temple courts, the sheep and the cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me, which is a quote from Psalm 69. And then the Jews responded to Jesus saying, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And again, for me, uh, this is why I love studying scripture. When you start to see something that doesn't really make any sense or since doesn't quite seem to follow, then for me, it's like a super exciting invitation to go and understand. Um, so after he's had that reaction, it's quite an unusual thing for him to say. But what that does is basically gives us the clues to unpack what's really happening here. Um, so the first bit we've got in red there, like my favorite thing is when you see these random details that just don't make any sense at all. So what is, so Jesus says he goes particularly to those who sold doves. And if you look at every version of this story, he goes to the people who sell doves and he says, get them out of here. So the question is, wh what's going on here? Is Jesus just hate doves? Um, that's not the answer. Um, and uh, the answer is, is all of us, hopefully, in our, in our daily reading are going through Leviticus at the moment, the book of law. And uh, I'm sure we all remember that when we get to around chapter 5, just in a few places, um, you'll find uh, it's where um, it explains how the sacrificial system works. And if you go and find the, the bit where it references doves, what the doves were there for is were for, for regular people or wealthy people, they were expected to bring a lamb as part of their kind of worship and sacrifice. But if you, if you read it through and you'll see that actually those who couldn't afford a lamb or cattle or anything were said, for you, um, as part of your worship, um, you can bring doves. 
And this is kind of beautiful little detail in the scripture, which then gets inserted later on in by the gospel writers to give us a clue of the first thing that's happening here. So the first thing that's happening is that actually Jesus is picking something out here, saying, of what I'm doing here, particularly, I'm coming to you who are engaging with the poor. I'm coming to you who are making it harder for the, the poor and the wealthy to come to me. You're actually creating a separation. Um, and it's the main detail, again, starts to realize Jesus is not just having a fit of fury. He is particularly pinpointing a message he's going to make. And the first thing he's, he clearly made, there's something going on here about injustice. There's something going on here about God's heart for the poor. And the second part around this particularly is, go back to my coins. Like I said, uh, you know, maybe um, a fair exchange rate would have been one bunny coin for one uh, massive silver 2p coin. Um, which is the, the temple tax. So one Roman coin for one uh, t temple tax coin. But actually what was happening is some um, nefarious, um, um, what's a great word, nefarious currency changes are saying, well, actually, I can make a quick buck out of this. So for every two bunny coins that you bring me, you can only have one temple tax coin. And basically that is what was happening. People were taking what was a perfectly you know, fair enough system of, of currency exchange, maybe with good motivation, and they were finding a way to exploit it for their own benefit. And again, we tie that nicely, um, oh, as I said this morning, when you dovetail that nicely with the doves, then um, what's happening is Jesus is saying, particularly, the first thing I'm particularly speaking about here and showing my anger at is those who are economically exploiting the poor those who are making it harder for the poor to come and worship me at Passover, come to connect with me at Passover. So that's the first clue that already, hopefully by now, like I've keep saying, w there's this stereotype of what this was is totally out the window, and now the plot is thickening, and we realize something much deeper and much more powerful is happening here. And the second clue we can find in scriptures is when scripture quotes scripture. So we look at the next bit, and after Jesus says these things, his disciples remembered at some point after the time a, psalm, a quote from a psalm which says, zeal for your house will consume me. And the, the, the best part about, um, about again, the scriptures, if you go read Psalm 69, um, well, put it this way, if you don't read Psalm 69, you read that as just a statement saying, oh, I'm just, I'm just really passionate. I'm like, really passionate about God. And it was just his passion that overcame him or something like that. But if you read Psalm 69, it's actually, that is a really odd verse in the middle of it. Psalm 69 is a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of lament by someone who is basically being oppressed, being attacked, whose life is under threat, all because of their obedience and to God. And this verse comes in there, and basically the, the psalmist is saying, I don't care that I'm going to pay a price. I don't care that my life is under threat. I'm so passionate about you and your will and your name that I'm going to, do this anyway, this is going to totally consume me. And so actually we start, the plot starts sticking, you're saying, why is Jesus, or why did the disciples realize Jesus was starting to live this out? Because what they realize is by Jesus doing this, he knew there was going to be a cost to his life. He knew actually he was causing, uh, making such a statement that actually somehow he was going to have to be pushed through by his passion for God in the suffering he was then going to have to encounter which then gives us a clue to the last thing. So what was the, um, what was the reaction to, um, to what Jesus did? So it says the Jews responded to him. So the people around him, they responded saying, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? 
And Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll build it again in three days. So again, again, if you think of the, the sort of the face value here, you'd think they'd say, just get out of the temple. You're causing a riot. This is a really important time for us. Get out. But actually, even in the moment, they are starting to realize he's saying something different here. They are realizing this is an incredibly symbolic act. And they're saying, "Who? what authority do you have to do this? The other reason we know this really quickly is if you look in the other versions, um, Jesus actually quotes something in the other versions. He says, you've turned my house into a den of robbers. And again, the face value is probably, oh, maybe Jesus was referring to the economic injustice with the coins. But actually, he was quoting the prophet Jeremiah. And the prophet Jeremiah in that part he quotes is all about standing in front of the temple saying you're doing religion falsely you are going through the motions but you are not connecting with me in the way i want to connect with you and again when you put all that together you start to realize the jews at the time they knew something different was happening here and what they're saying is what authority do you have to start questioning how we're doing this system who are you to question the way we're doing the sacrificial system the way this is all working And look at Jesus' reply. He says, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it again in three days. He's referring to his death and resurrection. He's saying, I'm so angry at the way you've turned this religion into actually an oppressive system that actually is preventing people from coming to me, preventing me from connecting with me with my people, that I'm going to come and wipe this all away. I'm so furious at what's happened that actually I'm going to take the pain on myself and I'm going to break this whole system and I'm going to clear the way. So if you go back to where I, I sort of made that conclusion, so what we can see, this is not just a fit of fury from Jesus. Maybe he was, you know, hangry or whatever. Um, this is a God who is furious at what separates you from him, from us, from him. And this was Jesus prophetically announcing that I'm about to tear down that separation. And we know from after the other gospel accounts, after Jesus died, what was the first thing that happened? The temple in that temple, sorry, the curtain in that temple tore from top to bottom. It literally broke down any form of separation of where God was in that temple with his people. So it's an incredible story, actually, when you're on the face value, it just looks really confusing. But once you unpack it and you actually see, actually, this is a really quite um, powerful message of fury of a God who loves us. A fury of a God who cannot cope and refuses to accept the separation, refuses to accept when the system he put in place actually had been corrupted and actually was causing and creating the separation. And he was going to, he came in and said, you know, I'm done. And in the, sec- in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John accounts, this actually happens just before um, he comes into the cross. Um, I think for me, this has been, uh, let me show you before I get there. Let me show you what this looks like. I have, to bring it all together, I want to show you what this looks like. Um, I need my wife. In many more ways than one, but particularly for its illustration. Um, everyone say hi to Jen. Um, me and Jen have a covenant, you'll be pleased to know. Um, and I love Jen, you'll also be pleased to know. And uh, there will be times, I'm sure, in our marriage when, when things get in the way. When things prevent and cause a separation between us. 
And, and this, I love Jen too much for this to be, to, to be enough. And I love Jen too much for have a Christian side hug. Um, so what happens to my love? Do I just accept second best? No, this is what I do. I take a head off with a tray. That didn't happen the last two times. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, loosely speaking, I think that's what's going on here. This is a God who had got presented with a separation from his people. And he wasn't okay with that separation. He wasn't okay with not having the full separation, full connection, sorry. But he wasn't just going to take half measures. He was going to completely kick it out of the way. And this was a symbolic act of Jesus saying, and I'm going to do it right now. This is what I'm about to go and do. And um, I've, you know, I've been sat with this for, for a while now, and um, I don't really wake up in the morning um, until about 10.30, 11 o'clock in the morning psychologically speaking, anyway. And, um, and but when I was preparing this, um, it, I, was a, I was wide awake at, at five, six in the morning, and, and Jen sort of woke up and turned to me and said, you look perturbed, which is how we talk to each other. <laughs> and uh, I said, yes, I am perturbed. <laughs> and because um, I, I was, and I, and I still am, and um, I find this, connection of love and fury really challenging and um because i know there are things in my life it may not be my sin anymore which has been cleared away but as the writer of hebrew says there is there is still sin in my life that so easily entangles and gets in the way of my my relationship with god and my life living out what he wants me to live and how do i think god feels about those things do i think he's okay with with the side hug um do I really understand the fury that he has that comes from his love for me, that his love for full connection with me, or am I, am I okay with that? And I think too often I am too okay with that, and I've been, like I said, grappling with this message myself and thinking through what, you know, what, does, what does this mean? And that's what I want to offer you this morning is, is what does it mean, what, how do you react to that fury, that love and that fury, like that strange combination of love and fury? Is that something that sits sits neatly with you. But that's what we have in this, this passage. Um, and as I thought about it, a kind of a, a, a quote came to mind um, from C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and this is a quote, for those of you who don't know, it's, a, it's a basically a story which is a big Christian metaphor, and uh, Jesus is characterized as a lion called Aslan. And at the point this happens in the story, someone's about to meet Aslan. And uh, and the, the character asks another character, like, is is he safe? Is he safe? And this is what the character says. That character says, "Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you." And again, this is that same. I, I think I've said, a lot of people have said to me, "I love that quote," and I love that quote, but it's also really unsettling quote, isn't it? Because it's really easy to make Jesus safe. Um, but again, as we've seen this evening, we see many times in his ministry, he's not safe, but he is good, and he's the king. Um, as, as we close, I, I wanted to, um, to finish with 
with something maybe a little bit different. And um, I, uh, I grew up in a Church of England church. Um, I prefer the vineyard, just for the record. And, um, and one, one thing I simultaneously didn't, did and didn't like about, um, about Church of England is I generally didn't like liturgy, which is where everyone kind of stands and reads the same thing. But there was always one part of liturgy that I really, really liked. Every, more, every Sunday morning, I kind of resonated with, and that was confession. And um, where everyone stood together and read the same kind of confession prayer. And I think for me it was because it's very hard to experience this full, ferocious, accepting love of God unless I've first been honest about how little I deserve it. Um, if I, and we're going to take communion afterwards, if I take communion without first coming before God and realizing how much I need forgiveness and how powerful that love is, I lose something. So like I said, we're going to take communion um, in a minute. And before that, I'm going to read a prayer. Let me uh, just pivot slightly and do communion health and safety here at Vineyard. But if you're, <laughs> if you're not being on the floor, then there'll be a station at the front and the station at the back um, with, with the bread and the juice. Um, and we rip and dip. So um, tear a piece of the bread, which is Jesus' body, and, and dip it in the juice and, and go and sit down again. But the next slide is, is just a prayer, a, the, a confession prayer from the liturgy that I used to say as a kid at my C of E church. Um, and I'm just going to read it out once. And um, my invite to you this morning, first of all, is, is after I, I've read out, if you want to stand and say it together, then, then that's my invite to you, and then we're going to take communion. But I think my wider invite um, just this evening is take this moment to sit with that ferocious, furious love of God. How does that sit with you? Um, are there things in your life that you know you're holding on to that are separating you from God and that he wants to, full of love, knock out the way? Um, and maybe you're here and you haven't, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, in which case you're 100% welcome. But I invite to you is, is this a Jesus you want to follow? Is this a Jesus who you want in your life as a Lord of your life? Then that invite's there again this morning, this evening, sorry. So, so I'm just going to read it through just so we know the words. And if you'd, if you'd like to and you're able to stand, we'll stand, um, say it together. Um, and then the band will come up and then we'll take communion. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. So if you would like to stand, please do. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.